Good evening and welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 9, we're going to look at verses 18 through 26. Let's open in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to open your word with my brothers and sisters. Lord, and I ask that you would just take and multiply your word in our hearts, that you would increase our faith, that you would give us opportunities to share with our friends and our family, to encourage them. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the grace that you have given us in Christ Jesus. Amen. You know, as we come to this passage, uh, I, I want to give you a little background and then we'll read our text together. If you remember, leading up to this, Jesus had gone to Gadara. And it was on the eastern side, if you remember, of the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. It was there that two men, demon-possessed men, come out of the caves. And, and they recognized who Jesus is. And they asked permission. They were fearful of the judgment that was coming to go into the pigs. And if you remember, they ran, the pigs ran off and jumped off the cliffs. And the people had come and, and they you know, wanted them out of the place. They wanted them away from their land because it was affecting their pocketbook. And, and so often people are that way. Well, what's interesting is, is Jesus come back to the western side. He would go back to his, his base of operation, which was in Capernaum. And coming into Capernaum there, um, he passed by the sea there and he saw Matthew, the tax collector, and he, he called him, follow me. Matthew followed, and later on that day, Matthew had a feast with other tax collectors and sinners, and uh, there was this confrontation with the Pharisees. And it was important to understand that it's at this time that there's a man that comes on the scene that's in our story tonight. Um, He's a, a ruler of the synagogue. And so one story dovetails right into the next. Well, let's read our text. Beginning of verse 18, it says this. While he was saying these things to them, a synagogue official came and bowed down before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand upon her and she will live. And Jesus got up and began to follow him, and so did his disciples. And a woman who had been suffering of a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, for she was saying to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will get well. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. And at once the woman was made well. And when Jesus came into the official's house and saw the flute players and the crowd of noisy disorder, he said, leave the girl. She has not died, but asleep. And they began laughing at him. But when the crowd had been sent out, he entered and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. And this news spread throughout all of the land. Now, so you saw the background in this man the synagogue leader, it, it begins in verse 18, while he was saying these things, okay, this is what the scribes and the Pharisees, they were criticizing Jesus for forgiving sin, if you remember the story. He was eating with sinners, 
tax collectors. And he wasn't fasting. And, and they were wanting him to observe their man-made traditions and they were condemning him. It's in this scene, this wealthy Jewish ruler comes on the scene. He comes right in the middle of them. And he's desperate. So this is where the section moves on. Now, in the middle of this story tonight, with this ruler and his, his daughter has died, there's this poor outcast woman. Now, what's interesting, both these two had great needs. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one that could ever make those needs. So what we're going to see is two extraordinary miracles of compassion. Now remember, Jesus is a God of all compassion and mercy. Now, look with me in verse 18. Let's take a little deeper look at it. But it says, And a synagogue official came. Now, the parallel account of this is found in, in Mark and Luke. We learn, as I mentioned already, the man's name is Jairus. He was called the ruler of the synagogue. Now, I want to call your attention to the fact that not all religious leaders were hostile to Jesus. Some knew the scripture. They were honestly looking for the Messiah to come. Some were hung up on power. Some were hung up on money. We understand all those things. That's true. But we're seeing a man that wanted to know the truth that would set him free. A man who would humble himself, acknowledge Jesus. Now, again, I, I mentioned that this man, he's important. He's a high-ranking individual in Israel because he's one of the board of elders of the synagogue that's in Capernaum, a major city in that area. He's an elder. Now, the elders weren't necessarily older men. This man had a young daughter. We don't know much about her other than she was 12. His job being important had considerable influence in that community. However, his high position never went to his head. I like that. It didn't go to his head. The power didn't go to his head. The influence didn't go to his head. He was wise enough and humble enough to go to the Lord Jesus Christ for help. I like that. There's a lot of people in this world that need help. And their pride gets in the way of them asking for help. They're not wise enough. And they're not humble enough. And Jesus says, unless we come like a child, we'll never enter the kingdom of God. Now here's the body of Christ. We should be close. If there's someone in need, they should be honest. Not manipulators, not trying to take advantage of people, but people with genuine needs. Hey, yeah, I could use that help. I'd appreciate that help. See, when a person doesn't say that they need help, they're, they're robbing someone of that gift of helps to minister to them. Not only to minister to them, they're, they're ministering to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, again, this man was wise enough, humble enough, and went to the Lord Jesus Christ for help. 
Now there's something else that we see in verse 18, and that's that he bowed down before him. Now Mark 5.22 says this, tells us that the Jairus, seeing him, fell at his feet. See, this is an act of, of worship for the ruler of the synagogue to, to bow down before a man from Nazareth. You remember the scripture in John. Is there anything good that comes from Nazareth? But humbly bows down. The man, frantic, desperate, his needs outweigh any pride. See, Jairus humbles himself in the presence of Christ. What a wonderful place to be. In fact, there's no better place to be than humbly dependent upon God. And what does he do? He worships the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the the word for worship means, you know, a kiss toward, to show affection toward, to adore, pay divine honors, to show reverence with supreme respect. So, seeing Jesus, he simply falls at his feet, bowing in worship to him. An act of reverence and humility in such a way that you and I should approach Jesus Christ. The only way that we should ever approach him is humbly coming before him. Now, this man has a request. Now, again, remember the man, Jairus, was a man of promise, position, prosperity. Humanly speaking, this man, he was set for life. In fact, some would say that he had the world by its tail. But at that moment of time, none of that even mattered. Death had come to his house. Death had taken his little girl. He lost what really seemed the only thing to matter at that time. Only Christ could change that. Put yourself in that situation of having your own child die. We can only begin to imagine the pain, what was going through his head. Nothing in this world mattered. But J.R.S., he came with this unwavering belief with absolute confidence. He said, my daughter has just died, but come, lay your hand upon her, and she will live. Unwavering faith, without any doubt. He knew, again, that Christ could restore this little child if he just comes. Now, there's a side note I want to call your attention to. This This is really... Again, the only healing of the laying of the hands of, of Jesus lay hands on upon. Except for in chapter 8, verse 15. But look with me at verse 19. We, we see the response of Jesus. <laughs> really, there was no need for any further discussion about the matter. 
the God of all compassion immediately arose to go to the man's house. And, and Jesus simply followed him along with the disciples. J.R.'s faith that just had touched the very heart of Jesus. It's, it's, our, it's our faith that pleases Christ. In fact, Hebrews reminds us of that. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. James talks about that faith too. The other side of the coin. He says in chapter 1 verse 6 through 7. But he must ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea. Driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he should receive anything from the Lord. It's unbelief that greatly hinders the hand of God. I really do believe that God's wanting to do more things today and people are not willing to believe and rest and trust in Him. In fact, when Jesus went back to His own hometown of Nazareth, His work was hindered because of the faithlessness of the people there. In fact, Matthew thirteen fifty eight says this, and He did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Remember, it's faith that pleases him. And he will do whatever is good and best for you and me. Now, what Jairus knew, he, he, I believe he had this gift of faith. At first, I think he knew who Jesus was, and we'll talk about that more as we go along. But this faith rested in this faithful God who he was. It was unwavering faith. It was a winning faith. And this faith honored God and rested in Jesus Christ alone. Now what's interesting, there's this, this, this pause or this short delay. In fact, in Luke 8, it talks about that. It says on the way to the ruler's house, Jesus encountered this short delay. What we're going to see is a, a, another miracle right in the, in the middle. A miracle regarding, as we read, this, this woman been bleeding for 12 years. It's sandwiched between the, the two halves of the story. This was a real test. A test of patience for Jairus. Very difficult when experiencing such a, a serious problem. You know, when we're in a situation like that, we become all-consuming about our problems, and, and we really could care less about someone else. We have tunnel vision. And Jesus often allows us to be in those situations to teach us He's still on the throne. He could do exactly what He thought He could do. I've been there. You've been there. That's what the Bible calls a test many times. Children of Israel led in the wilderness for 40 years. In Deuteronomy, it talks again that that was a, a test to see if they would obey God. Oh, God knew. It was for them. It was for us. That we can see what real faith looks like or doesn't look like, what trust looks like. We can see that all men are bent towards sin. 
And we need to be serious about our decisions. John Butler says something interesting about this passage. He says, interesting note on the two miracles. Not only are they tied together in their occurrence, but they're also tied together with the number 12. The daughter, Jairus, who was sick, then died at 12 years old. The woman in our text was bleeding, had a bleeding problem. Been sick for 12 years. One had a sickness for 12 years. The other had a sickness only in her 12th year. But both needed Christ. So it is in regarding salvation. It makes no difference how long you've been a sinner. You still need Christ. And Christ can save any sinner. No one's beyond the grace of God if they would just humble themselves and throw out their pride. Well, let's look a little more at this woman, her condition. Again, in verse 20, it begins, and this is a woman who had been suffering with a hemorrhage for 12 years. The woman was extremely sick. I hate to just say sick. I can't imagine what it's like for 12 years suffering from a hemorrhage. It would have resulted in social problems and spiritual misery as well. You know, pain is hard to bear, even if it's only for an instant. But can you imagine lingering on for what seems indefinitely 12 years, it only becomes greater, harder, more overbearing. The anguish in time becomes mental, and the suffering lingers, and sadly, at at times, some can let these circumstances really become their identity. I'm just sickly. I'm weak. I'm going to die. Christ can easily save a young person as much as an old person. But some people think they've just sinned too much. They've gone beyond that point where God could never, ever, and would never save them. But that's not true. The fact that the blood of Jesus Christ is is powerful, can wash away any sin. I love Isaiah. Isaiah 118, I'm sure you do too. It says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though our sins are scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. Come now. The invitation is, come now. Maybe you're struggling with that that sinful situation, bearing that weight. He says, come, all are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. A parallel account of the Gospel of Mark adds a little bit more to it. Mark 5, verse 25 and 26 says this, And a woman who had 
had a hemorrhage for 12 years, had endured much at the hands of many physicians, had spent all she had, was not helped at all, but brother had grown worse. A woman's problems just kept getting worse and worse. Imagine the discouragement. No sign of improvement or hope in the future. Only the evidence of a a continual decline. In fact, all she had to look forward to was death, and she was slowly dying. Sin's much like that, like a cancer. It's a spiritual disease of the soul. It, too, destroys a person from the inside out. Sin never improves a person or makes a person better. It only makes a person worse and worse. Ephesians talking about that person says this in chapter 2, verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and your sin. There was disgrace in her condition came the fact that not only the physical condition, that physical condition ceremony made her unclean, according to Israel's laws. In fact, let me read from Leviticus 15, verse 25 and through 27. Now, if a woman has a discharge of her blood in many days, not at the, the period of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond that period, all the days of her impure discharge, she shall continue through her menstrual impurity. She is unclean. Any bed on which she lies all the days of her discharge shall be like, like her bed at a menstruation. And everything on which she sits will be unclean, like her uncleanness at that time. Likewise, whoever touches them shall be unclean, and she shall wash her clothes and bathe her water and be unclean until evening. See, this disease to some was sufficient for justification for divorce. Some men would just divorce and leave. Love endures. Love believes all things, hopes all things. Spiritually and socially, she was an outcast. Imagine if her husband left her. Because of her her physical uncleanness, she could never enter the synagogue or the temple. What she really needed was the power of God. The power of Jesus Christ. That's what you and I need tonight. I need his power, his strength. I need him to break the chains. She needed him to break the chains, set her free. The best thing this woman ever could do was to seek Jesus Christ for help. She had went to the physicians, the doctors. uh, uh, No one could help her. But Jesus Christ could. Mark 5, verse 27 reminds us after hearing about Jesus... She came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. 
how important it is after hearing about Jesus. People need to hear about Jesus. They need to hear that he's the great healer. He's the, the creator. He's coming again. He's the one that sustains us and keeps us until that day. He is the God of all comfort. Jesus is hope for the hopeless. And this woman seemed to be hopeless. She was hopeless apart from Christ, but she would seek him. Look with me in verse 20 again. It says, he, She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, for she was saying to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will get well. Do you hear her confidence? The doctors had no one had helped her. She only continually got worse. But she had hope in him. She heard what he had done for so many people. People were talking about him as a Messiah. Crowds, numbers, 4,000, 12,000 people at a time were following him. He was doing so many miracles. The book of John describes, there's not even enough books in the world to describe how many things that he did. She believed in him. And if she'd only touched the hem of his garment. Now, the hem of the garment is the fringes, the four tassels. that would be worn on a, a garment or from their, from their around again their waist now I'm not talking about a prayer cloth Jesus didn't wear a prayer cloth there's no evidence of that nothing to show that anyone did at that time but these tassels please understand they, they signified again their being Israeli boys would be set apart or men would be set apart different it represented that they were attached to Israel. They were a chosen people. To remind every Jew, every time he put on and took off his clothes, he belonged to God. But it also symbolized authority. Perhaps you remember when Samuel took the tassel away from Saul because God had taken his authority away. Oh, you'll find other examples in the Bible of that as well. And then there's Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. It says, But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise in the healing in his wings. Now that word wings is used, used is the same word for the borders or, again, that tassel, that idea that would be on the, the edge woman knew that this was the Messiah. Surely if she just got close enough to him, to touch that him or the borders of his garment, I could surely receive a, a healing. You know what she was doing? She was embracing the promise of the Messiah and his healing of his wings. See, she looked at Jesus and believed that 
He was who he claimed to be. How about you? Do you believe he is who he claimed to be? What the Bible describes? Who he is? Well, it may seem to be a very scandalous act to some. This woman was desperate. And she knew that, her, that Jesus was the only one that could cure her and him alone. There was a problem, though, her disability from her sickness. She was weak. Her strength was drained. Yet she was determined, and she would not give up. There's a second problem I want to call your attention to. Really the denseness of the crowd. I know you probably remember being to the fair and and maybe your little one kind of run ahead of you and, and, you know, people are moving in front of you. You're hard to, you're yelling at them, hard to get around them. And you start to move forward and somebody steps in front of you. The crowd was much the same. She had to fight to get through. She had to rush. She had to be quick on her feet. She had to maneuver around all the people in order to reach Jesus. So in a sense, she had to push and shove and elbow her way through that crowd. She knew she needed to touch him. If she'd only touch his clothes, she would be healed. That's what it says in Mark 5, 28. There's one more problem I want to call your attention to, and that was really the discovery of her person. Well, see, the Levitical rules warning her to be separate. She was unclean, if you remember. It was a risk of being caught. Somebody might recognize her, be acquainted with her condition. This would result in her being exposed. Even removed from the crowd, never even reaching out. But nothing would stop her. She was desperate. She had a desire to, to reach Christ. This is the real difference between a, the, the head belief and the heart belief. The person with the heart belief will do whatever it takes to get to Christ. Her heart faith moved her to action. Her faith in the Lord was what sustained her. Like the woman with an issue of blood, her faith was more powerful than all the circumstances she had to deal with. She knew she had to get to him. I like verse 22. It says this, but Jesus turning and seeing her says, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. And at once... The woman was made well. Immediately, let's say, she was healed. Jesus embraced her need. I like the fact that he uses that word daughter, a term of endearment. We used a a few verses earlier of the, the ruler with his daughter. 
daughter, take courage. Jesus will always be encouraging and tender when you press on to him. See, she demonstrated this great faith, even though the the Bible doesn't call it great faith. But this great faith was simply trusting in the scripture of who he was. She had enough faith to trust Jesus to be the promised Messiah. Now the woman didn't approach him face to face because of her disease. The consequence of uncleanness. But Jesus responded saying, your faith has made you well. Not faith in her faith, but the faith in him. Because her faith was, if I only touch him, if I only get to him, he can heal me. He is the one. And when she did, her 12-year-old battle with this disease ended right there. And it was right after this that, again, Jesus continued on his journey to Jairus. Oh, it seemed to happen very quickly, but again, Jairus is probably not too patient. Come on, Jesus. We need to get to my daughter. And sometimes again, Jesus makes us wait and trust and rest. Jesus' timing is always perfect. Verse 23 continues, when Jesus came to the official's house, he saw the flute players and the crowd was in noisy disorder. The presence of these mourners, the crowd of flute players, indicated really the girl had been dead. The funeral had already began. The children of Israel would bury a dead person that same day that they died. They went on without him. But CJRS believed that Jesus could and would heal his daughter. But others weren't so faithful. And so while he was going to get Jesus, others started the funeral service. They were mourning, lamenting. The minstrels were playing. But when Jesus comes, he says, Leave, for the girl has not died, but asleep. Jesus arrives on the scene. He simply dismisses these, again, mourners. These were professional people. It was a business. He's going to reveal that he has the power over death. Jesus could wake this little girl up, raise her up out of her sleep. Now the word sleep is a common figure of speech for death, much like what we use the words or phrase today, uh, passed away, someone passed away. The word asleep implies death is a state from which believers will be awakened at the, the resurrection. Are you a believer? 
That's important. Jesus said, unless a person is born again, he'll not enter the kingdom of God. There's going to be a group of people that will be, again, caught up to be with the Lord. In fact, I want to read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. And it begins with these that have fallen asleep. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brother, about those who are asleep. They've died. They're asleep. He likens it to sleep. So they'll grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, those believers who passed away. There's going to be a time that the dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive will be caught up to be with them in the sky. And we'll be with the Lord Jesus Christ forever. Again in verse 24. Jesus implies that she's just asleep. But they began laughing at him. Laughing at him in scorn. Faithless crowd. The laughter became their judgment. They would not witness the miracle. Jesus simply put them out of the room. Proverbs talks about the scorner's delight and their scoffing. The scoffer delights in ridiculing the things of God. But this crowd, oh, they had probably been to many funerals, but they'd never seen the resurrection but they'd never been to a funeral where Christ was present. See, the point that we're talking about is that he has this power over death. Jesus has the authority and the power over death. Verse 25 says this, But when the crowd had been sent out, he entered and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. This was the first resurrection miracle performed by Christ. Oh, what mighty power. Jesus has the power over death. He has conquered death. Death, where is your sting? What a compassionate, tender scene. Luke 8, 54 says this, And he, however, took her by the hand and called her, saying, Child, arise! It seemed to be this hopeless situation turned from mourning to laughter. And I like the fact that Jesus used no incantations, no magic words. He simply spoke to the child and raised her up. Again, one day, he will call out to the dead in Christ and they will rise in the same way. And we who are alive will be caught up, as I mentioned, gathered with them together and be with the Lord forever. It's not surprising that in verse 26 it says this news spread throughout the whole land. I love the, the fact that this last miracle serves as really kind of a climax in Matthew 8 and, and 9. It's much greater than just uh, that Jesus has the power over Disease and illness, blindness, 
demons, nature. He has conquered death. The resurrection of his childhood had to remind them of, of similar miracles, that of Elijah and Elisha, prophecies about the return of the, the prophet Elijah. It's not surprising the news of this miracle spread throughout all the region. Jesus' growing notoriety just sets the stage what's going to happen next. And that's the first major conflict with the Pharisees that we're going to see in Matthew 9, verse 34. Things are getting a bit rougher. But God. See, what we saw tonight really is Christ's power over death and disease. He truly is the hope for the hopeless. He is the God of all comfort and he embraces us in our brokenness. He says, come, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Won't you come to Jesus? He has open arms. He's calling. He's knocking on the door. He says, if anyone would open the door, he will come in and sup with them. All you need to do is throw out that pride. Confess your sins, that need of him. Come like a child. Repent of your sins. And he will give you a peace that passeth all understanding. He'll give you life. He'll give you abundant life. But you must come and receive it from him. Father, thank you for tonight. Lord, I pray if there's anyone who hears this message has never trusted you, God, they will open the door and let you in. Give them ears to hear. Put them in a church, Lord, where they will be discipled and loved and encouraged. and experience your wonderful love and grace. In Jesus' name.